Welcome to Korean True Crime with me, your host, Mimi Maziko. On this show, we talk about the horrors that lurk in the darkest shadows in South Korea. If you'd like to support the show's continuance and future improvements, a Patreon is now available at Korean True Crime. Patrons will be mentioned at the start of each episode and will receive voting rights on future episode topics. As always, liking, subscribing, and following wherever you listen is a great way to let me know you like the content. With that, let's dig in. Today's episode warrants a special trigger warning. Korean true crime episodes don't often come with a trigger warning because of the nature of the show. Murder is generally expected, but in specific instances, it's necessary for me to tell you when it's beyond the normal scope of true crime. Today's episode will contain discussion of eating disorders and may be triggering to those who are in recovery. Viewer discretion is advised. In April 2019, a man walks into the view of a CCTV camera near Hakdang Station in Seoul. The man looked intoxicated by the way he was walking. He staggered down the sidewalk, his arms dangling at his side before jerking his arms into the air. He begins shadow boxing, throwing punches at nothing in front of him, then throws himself onto the ground before getting up, staggering further down the street, and doing it all again. He approaches a railing separating the road from the sidewalk, hops over it. He begins sprinting in front of the passing cars, weaving between them. Then, a car collides into his body. The driver screeches to a stop, but the man was already lying still in the road. The man was Yang Kiwon, a popular actor who had just recently starred in a film alongside the Eternal star Ma Dong Sok. His career was taking off, and he was happy, or so everyone thought. Police suspected he was under the influence of alcohol, or possibly drugs, but none were found in his system and he denies ever taking reality-influencing drugs. But he believed something was seriously wrong. Young Kiwon survived the collision, but his life would be forever changed. Kiwon had been trying to slim down, increase his health, and break out of the chubby sidekick role he'd been put in too many times. He had started a diet that included medicine prescribed by his doctor to reduce his appetite. The hot new pill is colloquially called Nabiyak, or the butterfly pill, due to its butterfly or bow tie shape. Its brand name is diatomin. It's an appetite suppressant that contains fentermine, a sympathetic nervous system stimulant that inhibits hunger signals to the brain. So, was Kiwan dehydrated, malnourished, or tired? He hadn't been taking the pill long enough to suffer from these side effects. Fentermine can only be prescribed in short-term doses, as it's extremely habit-forming. You take it three times a day, 30 minutes before a meal, for a week or two weeks, alongside a healthy diet, until your weight reaches under obesity. Yes, that's right, under obesity. This should only be used by people whose body fat percentage and BMI determine that they are obese. Yang Kiwan wasn't even close to being obese. So why was he prescribed the medication? 
It's a long cultural explanation, but Korea has a very complicated relationship with thinness for both women and men alike. Many countries do. Obesity can completely shut down career options, limit your access to public spaces, and even your clothing choices, with most stores in South Korea only offering sizes extra small to large. As someone who has struggled with obesity and an eating disorder, I sympathize with Korea's youth for the hatred spewed online towards Korean pop idols and actors. Actors, whose bodies are often already underweight, and television series depicting overweight women as lazy, disgusting. No matter how you feel about fat acceptance, people don't deserve to have their entire worth tied to their looks. Fentermine, when taken too long or too often, can lead to overdosing. An overdose of the medication can lead to confusion, panic, hallucinations, restlessness, and insomnia. Kiwan was hallucinating when he ran into oncoming traffic, hallucinating that all of the bones in his body needed to be popped, and that by running into oncoming traffic, it would feel good. All of his bones would finally be popped, and he would have the relief he needed. While Yang Kiwan took the medication to drop a few pounds before his upcoming roles, women and girls all over Korea began obsessing about this miracle diet pill. In the midst of an eating disorder crisis, this medication became the collectible of the season. Doctors were prescribing this medication freely. They weren't checking patient medical history or whether or not the patient could healthily lose a large amount of weight, and they weren't checking if the patients had already been prescribed the medication before. Because of this, women were getting double and triple prescriptions for this drug from multiple different hospitals, and then going back to pick up more before it was time to even get it refilled. All those diet pills weren't just for them. They were selling them online illegally, and their most popular clientele were teenage girls. These girls often were members of online chat rooms for people sick with an eating disorder aimed at encouraging and being supportive to one another's diets. If you're from North America or have seen BBC, you're no stranger to the idea of a pro-Anna online community. But if you don't know, it's an online community where people of all ages, mostly teenagers though, encourage each other to perform disordered eating habits and to drastically lose weight. But as someone who had belonged to a pro-Anna community for years, they're toxic, manipulative, and they change your entire worldview as a young, vulnerable teenager. They've almost disappeared in North America, but they're still thriving in South Korea. Hashtag ProAnna is seen all over Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Not to mention the unmoderated Korean forums that have been referenced in a lot of my episodes. During this time in 2019, the ProAnna trend was to take your height in centimeters and subtract 120. That was the ideal weight they suggested you should be. And teens all over Korea began following extreme crash diets to adhere to this. For example, if you're 160 centimeters or 5 foot 3 inches, your suggested ideal weight would be 40 kilograms or 88 pounds. Even with a small frame, that's incredibly underweight. The term was coined kibemum, or your height without your weight. While in Korea, 160-centimeter woman, according to the Obesity Center in South Korea, should be 46 to 60 kilograms, 100 to 130 pounds. But these teens wanted to achieve a byeolmala body, skin and bones. And the way these teen girls achieved this byeolmala body was through ways detrimental to their health. 
Once these teens purchased the drug online and started taking it, it was very difficult for them to stop. It was habit-forming, and they'd already lost their appetite and began feeling depressed. I scoured dozens of blogs dedicated to the butterfly pill. Many girls report feeling terrified of stopping the pill and regaining the weight they'd so easily lost. Some of them even said they felt nauseous at the smell of food. The pill had somehow made food tasteless, unappealing to them entirely. It wasn't just that they weren't hungry. They were beginning to feel an aversion to food. The girls that continued to take the medication began having auditory hallucinations that frightened them, but their fear of gaining all the weight they lost so quickly was enough to keep them purchasing more. Some of the girls even lost their menstrual cycle or had severe vomiting and diarrhea that led to dehydration and malnourishment. A mother was watching the news and saw young Kiwan's story. Kiwan's behavior was very similar to her daughter, Hyesu. Her daughter, who had once been extroverted, mild-tempered, and positive, had suddenly become depressed, shy, and even violent. Hyesu was a member of the Pro-Anna online community. She dedicated a lot of her time to these forums that drained her energy and fed her low self-esteem. During arguments with her mother, which happened often, she'd become violent, striking her mother or even threatening to kill her in increasingly graphic ways. Her mother was terrified about the changes in her daughter. After seeing Kiwan's description of the medication, her mother made the connection to her daughter's recent sudden weight loss. Yesu had indeed been taking the medication that she had obtained illegally online, the butterfly pills. When confronted, Hyesu threatened to kill her mother with a lighter by setting her on fire. That's when the fire alarms began to sound throughout the apartment building. A fire had erupted from the ninth floor in Hyesu and her mother's apartment. In their argument, Hesu raised the lighter to her mother and threatened to kill her mother as the flames grew. Thankfully, they escaped the building safely, and her daughter is now receiving the treatment that she needs. With these two incidences happening within days of each other, people grew frightened of the side effects of this once praised and beloved medication. The medication, however, had been on the market for over a decade, but only recently became popular to be prescribed in South Korea. A year prior to Yang Ki-won and Park Hae-soo's incidences, something much more grim came from the butterfly pill. In July 2018, a man named Mr. Yu was coming home from work. He was walking in the pouring rain, as July is a terribly humid month. He watched as a bus screeched to the side of the road suddenly, too far away from the bus stop he was next to. So he ran towards the bus, sheltering himself from the rain, thinking how annoying it was that the driver would make him run in the rain so far from the stop. But he stopped before the doors could open, at the sound of a man screaming, pounding a bloody hand against the window, like a scene from a zombie movie. The man inside begged for help as passengers ran off the bus. He shouted for the man to take him to the hospital. The bloodied man's name is Mr. Lee, and he did in fact survive to tell his story about what happened on the bus that day. Mr. Lee had gotten on the bus for a very long trip. He went from the first stop to almost the last, so he often would doze off and take a nap while the bus made its rounds. He woke to a loud sound and looked around, seeing everyone on the bus frozen in a panic. He wondered if there had been an accident. Then he saw a man clutching his face. Blood was pouring out between his fingers. He said his immediate thought was, 
I need to save this man, and he jumped up without hesitating to help. When he stood, he was suddenly able to see what had happened. A woman, small, in her 20s, stood over the man now, a knife clutched in her hand with no expression on her face whatsoever. She wasn't saying anything at all, just staring at the man she had just stabbed. Lee rushed to grab the knife, but despite her small frame, she had incredible strength and injured him superficially. The man, lying on the floor, clutching his face, was screaming, Help me! Help me! I want to live! The other passengers began to panic, bumping past them as they tried to escape the bus. This is when the bus began to swerve to the side of the road. Mr. Lee began pounding on the window, calling for help from Mr. Yu, who was standing outside in the rain. The woman, who we can refer to by the pseudonym Se-Min, was arrested, and both of the men recovered from their injuries. The woman's name was not revealed, and neither was the information from her trial, but SBS, a Korean news channel, was able to interview the woman's family and asked about what could have caused her to brutally attack the man on the bus that day. Her family told the journalists that she was a lonely girl who didn't have any notable hobbies and didn't have any close friends. She was very closed off and quiet, but two years prior in high school, she was active and the brightest student in her class. However, she had developed a temper that was explosive, and she'd threatened her parents with knives before during arguments. She'd never harmed anyone that they knew of, however. During their interview with the journalist, they mentioned a detail that wasn't remarkable at the time, but is a sign of a bigger problem that affected both Yang Kiwan and Park Hyesu. She had been losing a noticeable amount of weight. Semin had been taking the diatomin pills on and off for two years. Her depression had spiraled her into separating from her family and friends. She was isolated and experiencing the side effects of her eating disorder and the butterfly pills. Her family clarified that Simon did not know the man she had attacked that day. The police found that she'd purchased two knives from a department store and placed them in her purse that morning. She had set out that day intending to stab or kill someone. Without her side of the story, however, we're left to make the same assumption her parents did. The hallucinatory diet pills brought out the monster inside of her. Medical shopping is a problem that's affecting South Korea and their diet pill market is booming. The South Korean Ministry of Food and Drug Safety discovered in late 2019 that appetite suppressant prescriptions had increased by 1.24 million prescriptions in one year from 2018 to 2019. This brought the total up to 235 million prescriptions a year for a country of 52 million people. They looked at the records of the patients in the top 30 for amount of appetite pills prescribed in a year. Patient A had visited approximately 12 different hospitals and was prescribed 16,000 diet pills over that year. That's 44 pills a day. Patient B had only visited one hospital 80 times that year and was given 30 prescriptions every time they visited. These are both cases of illegal sale of narcotic appetite pills. Since 2019, changes have been made to make medical records for patients available to view by each and every hospital or doctor's office a person visits. Now, when you go to a doctor's office, you give your identification card, which has your insurance attached to it. 
They're then able to see your medications that can conflict with others, treatments you've been given, and sometimes doctor's notes from other clinics. This information, of course, is private, but prevents patients like patient A and B from getting 16,000 pills a year. I wouldn't feel right ending this episode without mentioning if you or someone you know is suffering from mental illness, please reach out to someone who can help. Mental health crisis hotlines are available 24-7. I know how hard it can be, but reaching out for help is the first step in getting better. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Korean True Crime with me, your host, Mimi Maziko. Liking, following, and subscribing wherever you listen to is a great way to support the show. See you next time.